as I mentioned earlier in this service, it is so good uh, to be back home. And I'm so thankful for my dear friend, uh, Dr. Bill Hackett, who has stood in for me so many times when I'm away and has delivered a brilliant message. And he's here this morning. Would you give him a big hand? He's a part of our church family. Thank you so very much. I was away at a family reunion, the Maddich family reunion. The Maddichs are my uh, maternal side of the family, my mom's uh, family. And uh, we gathered. We had never had a family reunion before. And quite honestly, I got tired of everybody talking about it and nobody doing anything. So I'm like, all right, you guys are already. So I asked my sister who lives in the Atlanta area if she'll help me at that end. I'll plan at this end. So we had a great family reunion. But it was unique. I took a different route. You may not want to do this anytime you travel to Atlanta. Do not go, do not go Tampa, Bloomington, Illinois, Atlanta, Atlanta, Bloomington, Illinois, Tampa. There is a shorter route. There really is. But right now, I have a daughter-in-law whose sister and her husband is in this service. They're a part of our church family. Our, our daughter-in-law is with child. In, in fact, it wouldn't surprise me if by this time next week, another Sellers enters the world, much to the dismay of many people, I'm sure. But uh, so Nicole wasn't able to make the trip. And so Brent's like, I really, really want to be there. And most of you know, if you've been around here more than 15 minutes, you know I've got two incredible granddaughters. Uh, Kenley's four and Landry's one. And he said, I'm going to make that drive. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I want to be there. And so I'm going to make that drive from Bloomington, Illinois, with the two girls to Atlanta. And I said, are you kidding me? I said, and then I said, here's a, here's a stupid question. Would it help if I flew there and drove down with you? you? Of course it would help. So he thinks I did it for him. Of course I did it for my grandbabies. In fact, I ended up, this was not part of the plan, as to ride when I've got a full passenger seat in the front well, plenty of room. It was my plan to ride in that seat. It was their plan that Papa would ride in the back seat between two car seats for about 11 hours. <laughs> and that was a whole new experience. In fact, going back, it took about 12 hours, and for the 11th through the 12th hours, Landry, right beside me, pulled on her car seat repeatedly for 60 minutes, saying, out, Papa, out, out, Papa, out, 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 and I heard that, and uh, wow, so uh, it's, it's great to be back home. I took the long way around, but it was worth it, and I'm glad to be back with you. You notice a lot of things are out in the lobby that ordinarily would not be there, so I asked one of our ladies because I wanted to be sure. You heard part of it in the, in the video announcement. There's two organizations representing. Both of these families, by the way, are a part of our church. One of the organizations is Africa, African Children's uh, Today, and the other one is Take Heart, and these are fair trade uh, items that supports widows and orphans in that country, uh, giving them a way to provide for their families. So it helps to provide any of these great items that you were to purchase out there today and take home with you. What it actually does is helps to provide educational, medical help, and food. So when a purchase is made, you're actually changing a life. Fair trade, and I wanted to, I wanted to just read verbatim what she wrote. Fair trade products are all handmade by artisans, and they provide a job instead of a handout. So, uh, you know, they're ordinarily not out there. They're there today. So if you would just stop by, give it a look, you could take home some really cool stuff with you today, but be supporting an exceedingly worthy cause. So stop by on your way out. Real life, real life. 
It's what we're calling this series that starts today and will go for two Sundays after today, Real Life. In part one of this message, I wanted to share with you a talk uh, that God gave me that I've been working on for many, many hours uh, this past week in, in hopes that God would somehow use it to speak to you. And the subtitle of this is simply what you see on the screen right now, Holding On To Hope. How do you do that? How do you do that? Um, many of you have already discovered this reality that life is not a game. How many of you have already found that out? Life is not a game. It's for real. And often in our real life, we face real problems. Anybody here ever had a problem? Anybody ever had more than one problem going on at once? Anybody have more than, uh, more than one problem going on at once? Like right now, you've just got maybe some challenges in your life right now. And I, I don't say that lightly. But life is filled with problems. And life is filled unfortunately, with pressure and with pain. And most of us here in this room have lived long enough to realize that life doesn't always go the way that we plan. I imagine if I were to come row by row, seat by seat to each of you, you would say, hey, there are certain things in my life that I would have to say have been, you know, according to plan. I sort of saw this. I had a vision for it. I had a dream for it becoming a reality uh, for my life. I had this plan and, and it has been fulfilled. But there would be for every one of those that we would hear, there would be more that would say, you know what, there are things in my life that did not go as planned. Things that uh, I really hope would be a reality in my life by now, but it just hasn't happened. Some of you would say, you know what, in my plan, I would have been married by now. Some of you would say, hey, according to my plan, it made sense at the time when I initiated the thoughts, was I planned on having more dollars in my retirement account. I planned on having my education completed before now. I planned on having children, and that's not happened yet. I planned on getting that promotion at my job and being at this particular income level, but, but that has certainly not occurred. And so you've had some plans, and your plans have not come to fruition. Others of you would say, you know what? I never planned, fill in the blank. I never planned for this to happen in my life. I never planned that I would lose my job. I never planned that I would go through a divorce. I never planned that I would lose a loved one. I never planned that I would go bankrupt. I never planned on getting sick, but I am. So the question that really hangs in the air this morning, and I want to talk about it because it's so important and it's so needed for us in this hour, is this. What do you do when life does not go as planned? And most of you, I know I could say, you know, there are segments of my life that have gone according to plan. There are others that simply have not, and that would be true, I would imagine, for 100% of you in some regard. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to take you to a fascinating section of verses in the Old Testament, uh, Jeremiah chapter nine, uh, 29, to be very specific, and uh, I want to just give a quick word because uh, for a lot of you, your, your ears perk up when you hear Jeremiah 29, because for a lot of you, you're like, you've committed a memory, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. Now, uh, for all of you who have committed that verse, maybe even some of you have claimed it as your life verse, a lot of you, in fact, I would imagine most of you have never positioned Jeremiah 29.11 in matters of context, context being uh, where it fits within, the, uh, within that portion of Scripture. So maybe you've grabbed that verse, and it's a great verse, isn't it? And you've claimed it as your own, and you've memorized it, and you've said it again and again, 
But what most of you do not know is in the setting that it was given to us in. So uh, just a very quick word on this most popular verse in the passage before we wade in to the entirety of the passage. So here's the verse. You're going to see it up on the screen. Uh, Let's all read it together. Everybody, 100% of us, let's read this verse. A lot of you already know it. Here we go. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, keep that up, guys, if you will, for just a moment, because I want everybody here to notice what it does not say. God does not say, I know the plans you have for you. That is not up there, is it? I know the plans you have for you. You're not going to find that. That is not biblical. Nowhere are you going to find in the Bible this statement. There was this particular human being, and this particular human being happened to possess this great plan. You're not going to find that in the Bible. And you know why? The message of the Bible is not about your plans, and it's not about my plans. And the message of the Bible is not about anybody else's plans. The message of the Bible, in fact, it is a story. It is the story of God's plan. And we need to talk about it because life does not always go as planned. Some of you right here, right now, I know this as well as I know my name. Some of you are thinking right now, this very moment, about certain areas of your life that have not gone the way that you planned it. And you're like, what do I do? Where do I turn from here? What do I do? So a little historical background would be helpful before we pick up where we're going to pick up, not at verse 11, but actually go back to verse 4. And uh, so let me give you some historical background here. And, and there's somebody here that uh, could do this so much better than I. Dr. Uh, Daniel McNaughton is a great Old Testament uh, professor at Southeastern University. And, and he and his wonderful wife are part of our church. They're here every week. And in fact, be praying uh, for Daniel. He just lost his dad. And so we want to be praying for him. But background. Old Testament background, and I'll just give you an overview. In the ancient world, every nation worshiped their own gods. Many times there was this, what would be called a plurality of gods or a pantheon of various gods. And it was understood, at least in the minds and the imagination of people, that if, and you've got to follow this now or you get lost, you're not going to understand the totality of the context, that if a nation happened to be doing really, really well, that nation was strong, that nation was successful, that nation was powerful and wealthy, then then there was the understanding that if that was happening in your nation, among your people, then most absolutely certain was your God a great God. But conversely, if your nation happened to be weak, if your nation was struggling, if it was anemic, if it was depleted, then this was indicative of a weak God that you were serving. And so many times there would be this idea of, uh, of this, these God or gods are blessing this nation. Therefore, we, had a, we ought to adopt the worship of these gods. We ought to add them to our plurality or our pantheon of gods. So you've got to understand that is the mental framework from which Israel is positioned as the people of God. So among them, Israelites, God's people, it only made sense in their minds, hear this now, that to the one true God, who they refer to as Yahweh, that to the one true God, a logical way for his power and for his glory and for his sovereignty and for his dominion to be realized, then it would mean that God would want to bless their nation. You see how that would come about, right? 
that if this nation was being blessed and they attributed to their gods, or this nation was weak and it seemed to be a failure on the part of their gods, then Israel, who believed that they served the one true God, the one true God, the one true God that was worthy of worship and exaltation, that surely Yahweh would bless their nation that it may show to the whole world that he was the one true God. And for some time it appears that that is what is definitely going to happen. And so you know this story, and again, this is purely overview. They are led, God's people, the Israelites, supernaturally out of Egypt. And God prevailed along the way to make certain that that would become a reality. We know that God would, said, uh, would say to them, I'm not only going to provide you release from your captivity, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, uh, I'm actually going to provide for you a land of your own. This is going to be your land. You can position yourself there, the promised land. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. This is the, this is the best of all that I have. And, and with that, God said, I'm going to give you abundant provision. And so they set up their history right there in the land of promise. And there was the development. And anytime you come to like the Old Testament and you read, you know, like Joshua, and then you come to a section that has all of these judges, there's the era of the judges. And, and you can read through the list and how oftentimes God would use the judges to help deliver his people from invading nations. And then they asked for a king. And it was not God's will that they would have a king. You know why God did not want Israel to ask for a king? Everybody wanted a king. In fact, it was Israel's request. This is what they said. God, we want a king. And the reason that we want a king is because all of these other nations have a king. And we want a king just like they have. And God said, but I don't want you to have a king, an earthly king, a human king. I want to be your king. But they would not listen. And so God provided for them what he actually did not want to provide in a king. And when we know about Saul, and, and that started out pretty well, but you know that that did not go well. And then David succeeded Saul, and then comes Solomon. And right after Solomon, there's the division of this kingdom. Again, this is historical narrative. I need you to hang with me because you've got to understand the next time you quote Jeremiah 29, 11, where it is flowing out of. And so there's the division of the kingdom. This kingdom over which God wanted to be king. And yet there was the establishment of these earthly kings. And, and then there became this divided nation. And there's the northern kingdom. And their set or subset of kings. And the southern kingdom. And they seem to constantly be in conflict with one another. Among them were some good kings here sprinkled among them. But most predominantly were bad kings, negative kings. And so this goes on for some time, but then it reaches a, a, a climax in the history of, of Israel that the northern kingdom in 712 B.C. would be destroyed by a world power, by Assyria, and that, that northern kingdom would be utterly devastated. And the northern kingdom, this divided kingdom over which God, when it was one, when it was unified, over which God wanted to be king. Now, it is not only divided. Now, one portion of this kingdom, the northern portion, is not even in existence in reality. And so the southern kingdom moves on for some time. But then, even among the southern kingdom in 586 B.C., a new superpower now, not Assyria, but Babylon, completely destroys the southern kingdom. The wall cities are obliterated. The temple is leveled, and scores of Israelites. Think about this now, and this is now we're getting closer to the setting of Jeremiah 29, 11. Now, scores of Israelites are captured and taken into exile. Someone has written this. 
they, being the Israelites, are forced to live in the city of Babylon. They did not want to be there, but they are there. Now they're in a foreign country with radically different gods and radically different values and a totally different way of life. You see, and this is what I want you to hear. I want to just raise this up a notch because life doesn't always go as planned. Israel never planned on being in exile. Neither did you. Neither did I. We never planned on being in exile. And yet, we all, by this point in our lives, have faced some of the most challenging seasons. And the reason why we do is real life just happens. And, and some of you are saying, well, I, I don't want real life to happen. <laughs> I want my life to go according to plan. I want everything to be good and wonderful and perfect. I want everything. How many of you, by the way, you know, and this is a mission on my part, and I'll just do it, declare it, you know, it's therapeutic, I'm sure. How many of you have a little bit of a perfectionistic edge to you? Just and not in totally, but just, all right, put your, all right, and if you know somebody that they are like that and they're not raising their hand, you have my permission to just point to them perfectionistic edge. We got a little bit. Not, and, and so we like everything to go perfect, but it doesn't. And you say, well, I, I want everything. I want everything to be good and wonderful. I want my plans. I want everything. I don't want problems. I don't want pressure. I don't want complications. I don't want challenge. I don't want to be in exile. I want everything in my life to be wonderful 100% of the time. Let me tell you how to do it. Uh, go immediately to heaven. Do not pass go. Do not pass. Collect $200. Because it's not going to be that way. hate to tell you that until you get to heaven. The distress of exile is written about throughout the Bible in places like Psalm 137. I want you to take a look on the screen at these, these verses. And, and it's in regards to what we're talking about here out of Jeremiah 29. This is Israelites in Babylonian captivity. Beside the rivers of Babylon, we thought about Jerusalem. What is Jerusalem? Jerusalem is what? Home. They're in exile. And we sat down, and what do they do? That's often accompanied with exile. We hung our small harps on the willow trees. Our enemies, who are the Babylonians, right, had brought us here as their prisoners. Remember, the city has been collapsed. The southern kingdom is devastated. Now they're brought to Babylon as prisoners. And now they wanted us to sing and entertain them. They insulted us, and they shouted to us, sing about science, sing about home, sing about where you came from. And, and then the question is raised, here in a foreign land, how can we sing about the Lord? How can we sing about the Lord in a foreign land? How can we sing in a place where we have been brought as prisoners? You know what? In essence, I think many of them, if they're not vocalizing it, at least they're thinking it and rehearsing it in their mind. It is this. Where is God in exile? Where is he? How can we sing the song of the Lord when everything is going wrong in our life? How can we sing about him when we're not even convinced that he is here? How can we sing the song of Zion when we're in this strange place as prisoners? And we can fundamentally understand that there was great confusion in their crises. And you know what I think many of them were wondering? The same thing that you and I at certain points in our life have wondered. If our God is so powerful, if our God is so supreme, if he's incomparable, if he's miraculous, then how could this happen to us? Where is God when we're in exile? 
Pastor Jeff, is it legal for you to say that? I don't know, but I said it. Where is God in exile? I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand. I'll just raise mine. There's been times in my life when plans have not gone the way that I intended that I've wondered, where is God? In some of the most difficult segments of my life, I've wondered if God is so powerful, if God really loves me the way that I believe deep to the core of my heart that he does, where is he right now? Where is God in outside? Sound familiar? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever wondered, where is God when I'm in exile? Well, after a while, hopefully we all sort of come back to our senses, and it's all right, it's legal. I mean, in fact, you might as well give voice to it if you're thinking it. It's not like you're going to shock God. You ever said, where are you, God? Well, no, I never say that, Pastor Jeff. I never want God to know that. Well, if you're thinking, he, listen, he already knows. Back to Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah at this time is not in Babylon. He's a prophet in the southern kingdom. And so Jeremiah is not with these Israelites who are in Babylon. He's actually still back in Jerusalem. And there is much speculation going on. There's a lot of questions that are being raised. And among the people, there is this conversation, well, how long are we going to be here? How long are we going to be in exile? What are we going to do while we're here? How do we relate to Babylon while we're here? Now, keep in mind, which adds to the problematic nature of this whole deal, is there is not only true God sent, heaven sent, uh, spokespersons for God like this prophet Jeremiah, but among them are false prophets. And the false prophets are actually telling the people what they want to hear. You're not going to be here long. This is temporary. You just, you just hang in here. We're not going to be here very long. And nor you do your own thing, your own way. You just pack up. You have your carry-on ready, and you be ready to go because we're not going to be in this place very long. And then Jeremiah sends them a message that a lot of people just don't want to hear. And in so many verses, I didn't ask the guys to put it on the screen, but I do want you to, uh, to just listen to these verses. Listen carefully to them. I'm going to read them to you. This is verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile. We need to come back to that. From Jerusalem to Babylon. This is God's word to them. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, we'll come back to this part. This has to be mentioned. Also, God says, I want you to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. Are you kidding me, God? You're asking me to seek the peace and prosperity of a people that has obliterated my city to bring me to their city? See the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and divineers among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says when 70 years are completed. 
I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. That's verses 4 through 10. And you know what? The only thing that we often ever remember out of that whole passage is verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now do you understand the context? Now do you see where Jeremiah 29 11 actually comes from? Jeremiah tells him something that nobody wants to hear. Tim Keller, in writing about this particular event, has said that actually uh, people are thinking in terms of two different strategy as, uh, strategies as it relates how to live in exile. The first one, get to this now, is what Babylon wants. What does Babylon want? Babylon wants for the Israelites to assimilate into their exile into their country, into their nation, to adopt their gods and their practices and their values. In fact, it was this idea, we're going to so pull them in, you know, that they're, they will reach this point where if, if you can't beat them, you might as well join them. And so we're going to adapt them. We're going to assimilate them into our culture. But there is another mentality that exists. The second one is what the Israelites are thinking, and that is how can we best isolate ourselves from the Babylonians? So the Babylonians, uh, Keller says, is saying, how can we assimilate these Israelites into our culture, into our worship, into our religion, into our ways? And the Israelites are over here saying, you know what? We're not planning on being here very long. And so while we're here, we're going to isolate ourselves from the Babylonians till God takes us back home. And God is saying, you're not going home as fast as you think you are. You're going to be here a little while. So settle down. Plant your gardens. Eat what they produce. Life is real. Go on with your real life. Find sons for your sons and daughters. You know, people that they can marry. Have some grandkids. You're gonna, hey, listen, it was God sending a message to them. You can be here. Have some grandkids while you're here. Well, God, we're not gonna be here that long. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Go back to verse four for just a moment. Check this out. How many of you are still with me? I know I'm giving you a lot. How many are you still with me? All right. Go back to verse 4 for just a moment. Check this out. This is, this is quite bizarre. Verse 4 says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those. Read these next four words with me. I carried into exile. Who is I? God says, I carried you into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, how many of you know this is really, really strange for them to hear? Because who do the Israelites think has carried them into exile? They think it's Nebuchadnezzar. But here's what I want you to know. Listen, God is up to something even in Babylon. God is saying, I want you to settle in. You're going to be here for a while. But in the message that God has for his people is this, and I paraphrase, but you can handle it because I'm going to be with you right where you are. In fact, listen, this is going to encourage some of you. In fact, God is saying to them, listen, what you need is actually not back in Jerusalem. What you need is me, and I'm right here with you. So settle in, and why don't you be salt and light in this dark culture for a while while you're here? Unpack your bags. You're going to be here a little while. And while you're here, why don't you just shine a little light? Why don't you just be salt? Why don't you be a representative for me? Be sure you catch this now. Babylon wanted to assimilate the Israelites into their kingdom, but God has another plan. God desires to assimilate the Babylonians into his kingdom. You with me on this? You see, one of the great lessons of exile is this. 
Even when life does not go as planned, God is right there with you. Are you in exile? What's going wrong in your life right now? What kind of dreams and ideas and thoughts and plans have you had? And at least to this stage in your life, they're non-existent. I've got good news from you straight out of the Bible, straight out of God's Word. God is saying, listen, it's not where you are, it's where I am. And even in your exile, I want you to be absolutely certain that I am with you no matter where you are, no matter what you're faced with. In fact, Jesus expands upon this in John chapter 14. It's not on the screen, but listen to what Jesus said. He said, if anybody loves me, they're going to obey me. Then my Father's going to love them, and then listen to what Jesus. This is the words of Jesus. Jesus said, and we will come to them, and we will live in them. And God is saying, it doesn't matter to me whether you're in Jerusalem or you're in Babylon. I'm right there with you. I want you to know that. I want you to be assured of that. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, in your life, in your job, in your family, in your health, in your mind, God is right there with you. God is right there with you. Now, Jeremiah has communicated to them that the exile was not going to end soon. No brief layover here. Then, as you saw earlier, he adds these instructions. All right, this is... Uh, again, it's, it's not what they were expecting, but you got, I read it a moment ago. Look at this. This is verse 7. And God said, by the way, while you're there, this is what I want you to do. I want you to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I, there it is again, I have carried you into exile. Nebuchadnezzar may have thought that this was his doing, but I pray to the Lord for it because if the city prospers, you too are going to prosper. Has God ever asked you to pray for somebody that's done something wrong to you? Has God ever asked you to love somebody that has treated you harshly? Has God ever said, I want you to pray for this particular person. I want you to love. I want you to treat this person as though they never did anything. You know how you know, and I found found this out in my own life. I've not had this experience for quite some time, and I've gone a a good portion of my Christian life without ever having having had this experience before. When God said to me, and I'm not going to give you the name. I don't know where they are. I don't know where they live. I don't even know if they follow our podcast or services. So I will omit the name, but I remember well when God said, I want you to pray for, and I said, I don't want to. I don't like them. I can't, God, I can't even stand them. All right, God, if you really want me to pray, I'll pray. I'll pray. Pray that their battery goes dead. Pray that their dog has fleas. Pray that the fleas get in their bed. I pray that, you know, and I didn't take it that, I wanted to take it that far, but even I had enough sense not to carry it that far. But I didn't want to pray, and I didn't like them. In fact, I started having conversations with God. Do I have to like them to pray for them? Well, you know when I knew that I'd really, really forgiven? It's when I found myself not only praying for them, but I actually, as crazy as it sounds, found myself praying that God would bless them. Oh, they came to you. They made things right. No, 
Oh, they came to you and they said they're sorry and they want you to forgive them and that they were in the wrong? No, never have. Never will, I suspect by now. But that's not my business. That's their business. My business is to do what God says. This is not far removed from what Jesus says to us in Matthew 5, when he said this, I tell you this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, friends, God did not want his people, and I need to wrap up. God did not want his people to isolate themselves while in Babylon. He wanted them to actually influence the people of that city. God was saying to Israel, I not only want to be your God, strange as it sounds to you, I actually want to be the God of the Babylonians as well. Now do you better understand Jeremiah 29, 11? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I know the plan. Not the plans you have for you. I know the plans I have for you. You settle into this city. I know you'd rather be at home. I know you don't like exile. But I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And if some of you this morning, I know that there are many of you are, I, I know this in my heart, that in some area of your life, you're right now in exile, I want to tell you, there, there's particularly one who can identify with you firsthand. His name is Jesus. Jesus lived. I wish I had time to talk about this, but I'll just hit upon it really quickly. Jesus lived his life in exile. It all started in exile. You have to say in a sense, he, he sort of exiled himself from heaven to come to earth to go to the cross to pay our sin debt off in full. Jesus lived in exile as a little boy. And if you remember the story of how Herod wanted to kill him, and what did his parents do? His parents picked him up, and they got out of town. They got away from home. Why? Because they wanted to protect their son's life. And even as a little boy, Jesus lived in exile. And not only as a little boy, but Jesus, think about this, even in his earthly ministry, Jesus lived in exile. And you said, are you kidding me? I can't believe that. Well, maybe you will after this verse. Look at this next verse right here. Look at this one. Matthew 8, 20. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I'm in exile. You're in exile, then there's one who understands who you are, what you need. You know, even at the end of his life here on earth, Jesus was in exile. You say, really? Prove it. I can't prove it, but the Bible can. Look at Hebrews. Jesus himself suffered where? Outside the city gate. Outside the city gate. In exile. Pushed out of his own so that his blood would make people holy. Let's pray. My heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I would ask you to do something. And, and please don't be embarrassed or afraid. Life is real. It's not a game. Real pressure, real pain, real challenges. I want to pray for you today. I want everybody to keep their head bowed, and even those of you that stand, I want you to keep your eyes closed as well. But if right now you're going through a great challenge, you're in exile, this, this message from the Bible today, God sent it for you. I want you to stand to your feet, and I want to pray for you right where you're at. Just go ahead and stand. You're in exile. You've been there. You're there now. Man, in service like this so many times, I've been able to stand to my feet 
to say, wow, I'm, life is not gone according to plan. I never thought I'd face this challenge. Never thought I'd have this problem. Never thought I'd suffer this calamity. Let me pray for you right where you're at. Anybody else? I know there's others, and I don't know why you'd be reluctant to stand, except maybe pride. You're wondering, you know, I want people to think that everything in my life is perfect. It's not. You know it. I know it. God knows it. Stand. Just stand. God, your son Jesus knows what it is to be in exile, and so do we. We have felt it. Many feel it even now. Help us to remember, God, that even when it seems that you're not around, that you really are. And even when our plans don't go the way that we have drawn them out and we feel that you have forsaken us, we feel that you have abandoned us, help us to realize that you have not, that you are with us as much as you've ever been before. Help us to realize, God, that many times this is the perfect time and place for you to just draw us near to yourself. And I pray that for every person standing right here, right now, that you would remind them that you're going to help them and you're going to strengthen them. So even in the middle of their pain, the pressure, the problems, helping them see that you are work and even out of bad things, you can bring forth something good. Even in the midst of all the ashes, you specialize in bringing beauty out of ashes. And we thank you for it. Everybody else, would you stand now? Everybody, let's all stand together. And as you stand, why don't we put our hands together and let's give God a hand clap of praise. All right, real life, real life. First message, you don't want to miss nets. I'm just telling you, I know what I'm speaking on. And it's not even my message, it's God's message. I know what I'm speaking on. You need to be here. You need to bring somebody with you. And you especially need to be here two weeks from today. I love you. Have an awesome week, everybody.